Let's ask God to help us as we look at his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you uh, for giving us your word about your son. We pray that as we look at Matthew's gospel this morning, that you help us to understand all the more who Jesus is, his magnificent authority and his care. And we pray that we might know a bit more about your kingdom. We pray that we might uh, find ourselves part of your kingdom uh, today and on that day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favourite music groups is a band called Weddings, Parties, Anything, kind of a pub band from Melbourne. One of their songs that I like is called Scorn of the Women. The song is sung from the perspective of a bloke in around about the 1950s. And he's thinking back over his experience of the previous decade, the 1940s. 1940s, of course, uh, was the time of the Second World War. At the time of the war, he's an Australian guy, he had gone to enlist in the army. But he failed the medical. His eyesight wasn't good enough. And he says this, he says, Riding home slowly, I sat on my tram, not sure if to laugh or to cry. He wants to laugh because he doesn't have to go to the war. He's not going to get himself killed or maimed. But at the same time, he wants to cry because he knows that everyone will think he's a coward. He gets a job making aircraft, but he finds that life is unbearable. The chorus goes like this. So don't sing no songs about waltzing Matilda. Don't tell me I tried. Don't tell me I failed. Because all I recall is the scorn of the women and a white feather that I received in the mail. Back in those days, people would send white feathers to cowards. The man talks about how miserable he was. And he says this, he says, There's more than one way you can cripple a man. It's not just hurting or injuring someone physically that can cripple them. If you exclude them, if you scorn them, if you reject them, That can cripple a man as well. He eventually concludes, Sometimes when I think back to the 40s, I pray for my very last breath. He thinks it would have been better to be dead than to face the shame and scorn of being labelled a coward. Uh, People say, Oh, as long as you've got your health, you're okay. And there's something to that, isn't there? It's important to have your health. It's good to have your health. It's terrible to be sick. It's terrible to get frail and to die. But there is more than one way you can cripple a man. Health is not the only thing that makes life bearable. Something else that can make life miserable is to be excluded, scorned, rejected. I'm sure we've all got our own stories of what it feels like to be excluded. We talked about this uh, at Bible study during the week and we managed to push a few people's buttons, I think. Uh, Craig, who uh, started the service this morning, said it was good we were all sitting on couches uh, at Bible study during the week as we talked about our feelings of being excluded, rejected. I think a few people did need a bit of counselling by the end of the night. Uh, we, We all know what it's like to be excluded, don't we? Whether it's as children, that party you didn't get invited to, or uh, my, my nightmare, the two captains 
uh, are choosing their teams and you're waiting and waiting and waiting to be chosen. Uh, or maybe there was that peer group at school who you really looked up to, you wanted to be part of it, but they never accepted you. Uh, the school I went to, I went to like a military school, as Patrick was calling out the orders this morning, I was having flashbacks, it was terrible. Um, uh, to, uh, to, to be accepted at my kind of military school where I went to, you had to be uh, from the country, you had to be a boarder at the school, you had to be big and strong, good at sport, and that kind of Australian don't say very much knockabout sort of thing. So as a small day boy from the city who wasn't much good at sport and who had a big mouth, I was right down near the bottom of the pecking order. I'll save the details for my psychiatrist, but it had its moments. It had its moments, moments where I felt um, scorned, rejected, excluded, moments where I felt like I was on the outside looking in and all the people on the inside were pointing at me and laughing. Yes, I'm slightly scarred. Um, uh, or or maybe, uh, maybe you've moved here from another country. You don't feel like an Australian. You don't quite feel like you belong here. You don't fit the stereotype or something like that. But if you go back to the country where you came from, you don't feel like you belong there either. You're kind of in limbo. You don't belong anywhere. I enjoyed my time very much in Florence last year. But it is alienating when you're not good at speaking the language of the country you're in, and I felt that. Um, I tried to fit in. At one stage, I took my boys to a soccer camp with the club Fiorentina, and uh, each day I'd kind of hang around for a couple of hours and try and engage the soccer mums and dads in conversation. People tried to be nice the first time I talked to them, but it must have been uh, hard work to hear my dreadful Italian. And so the next day I'd come all bright-eyed and they'd kind of not look and avoid me. (laughs) We long to be accepted, don't we? Desire to feel like we belong somewhere. Like we have a place. That is a deep human need, isn't it? And so it's true. There is more than one way you can cripple a man. Over these last few weeks, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching. And at the end, it says the crowds are amazed. Amazed because of the authority Jesus claims. He claims to know who is in God's kingdom, who is in heaven and who isn't. But but more than that, he claims to be the judge, the gatekeeper, the one who allows or disallows entry into God's kingdom. Come back with me to um, chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. And just have a look at at who he thinks he is here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father, my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't get why people say, oh, I like the Jesus and his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount or something like that. I, if Jesus is not who he claims to be, this is the teaching of an utter fruitcake, isn't it? It's a pretty stunning claim. Jesus reckons he decides who gets to heaven. He's the Lord. He's the judge. Well, no wonder the crowds are amazed at the authority he claims. Verse 28, Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus taught with authority. He claimed to have power, power to say what's true about God's kingdom, power to say even who gets in to God's kingdom. But of course, talk is cheap. Jesus can claim power all he wants So what? The question is, is his claim true? Does he actually have this authority? And that brings us to the next section of Matthew's Gospel. In these next few chapters, we kind of, um, we sort of follow Jesus around for a little while. And Matthew tells us nine stories Nine stories that involve miracles that Jesus did. Nine stories that show how Jesus is more than just talk. Uh, These miracles, they they demonstrate Jesus' amazing authority. And and these miracles, they also give us a clue, they give us a foretaste, they give us a a demonstration of what, what Jesus' kingdom of God will be like. Today we look at the first three of the nine stories, the first three stories. First story, first story is about a man with leprosy. Leprosy, as I'm sure you know, is a terrible skin disease. Back in those days it was untreatable, it was often fatal, a dreadful, dreadful sickness to have. But in the Jewish religion, leprosy was more than just a sickness. Leprosy made you unclean, unclean, and that meant social exclusion. Have a look at this quote from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Thanks, Sonny. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes and let his hair be unkempt. I mean, my kids will think that's okay so far, but it gets worse. Uh, Must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Now, no doubt there are good reasons for this law. It stops the spread of a contagious disease. There are religious reasons for it as well. If you study Leviticus, you can learn about it. But can you see, what would it have been like? It must have been terrible, mustn't it? It's not just the sickness that's the problem, it's the uncleanness, it's the the social exclusion. I mean, how awful to live like this. How awful to live alone. How awful never to have anyone touch you. No one allowed to come near you. Everyone, everyone no doubt scared of you and 
pointing at you and despising you. There is more than one way you can cripple a man, and this man is crippled in more than one way. But this man, he's, he's somehow heard about Jesus. He's heard of Jesus' great authority, and he believes. He believes Jesus can heal him, more than heal him. He believes Jesus can make him clean. He believes it. It's just one question in this man's mind. Just one question. Would Jesus be willing? Would Jesus be willing to even come into contact with an unclean leper like him? Let's see what happens. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine what that must have felt like? How long is it since this man has been touched by anyone? And now with this one touch from Jesus, he is healed, cleansed. He must have been ecstatic, mustn't he? I know Monty Python you know, says arms for the ex-leper and so on, and he would have been upset about it. It's not, not true at all. He must have been ecstatic. He must have been jumping up and down for joy. He's cured, but more than that, he's now welcome again. He can come back into community, back into society. The, the scorn is over. He can be accepted at last. And that's the thing Jesus focuses on. In the Jewish religion, if you were healed from a skin disease, you had to go to the temple. That would have been a trip to Jerusalem for this bloke. And you'd go through an eight-day ritual of cleansing. It involved various washings and sacrifices and so on. Jesus says to the man, get straight to it. Go to it. Go and uh, go offer the sacrifices. Go and do it as a testimony that you're really cured, that you can be readmitted to society. Verse 4. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, that's the first story. Story number one. It shows Jesus' authority, doesn't it? He has the authority to heal and to cleanse. And it also gives us a glimpse of this kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing. It's going to be a kingdom without leprosy. A kingdom without uncleanness. A kingdom where there will be no more exclusion, no more unclean, unclean, no more living alone, no more living outside the camp. If you have a place in this kingdom, you will truly belong. Next story is different, and yet, in some ways, it's exactly the same as the first one. Second story, this time Jesus meets a centurion, an officer in the Roman army. Uh, a man who isn't Jewish, he's probably not Chinese, but he's probably a Gentile. Uh, this, Gentile servant, uh, this Gentile centurion has a servant who's in terrible suffering. He's paralysed. Now, again, it must have been a dreadful disease. But the disease is not the only issue here. You see, for a Jew like Jesus, Gentiles are unclean. 
They're excluded from the people of Israel, excluded from the people of God, excluded from the kingdom of God. A Roman soldier is an enemy of Israel and a good Jew will never go to his house. A good Jew will never eat with him. A good Jew will never be his friend. A good Jew will never do him a favour. At one time, God told the apostle Peter to break this rule. God told Peter to go to the house of another centurion. And have a look here at the first thing Peter said. He got to the centurion's house and he said to him, he said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Nice way to start a gospel conversation. Now, like the leper, the centurion believes that Jesus can fix his servant. He believes that Jesus has the authority to heal him. But like the leper, there's one question in the centurion's mind. Would Jesus be willing would Jesus be willing to even come into contact with an unclean Gentile like him? So he goes to Jesus. He's hoping for help, but he doesn't actually ask for help. He just presents the situation. He lays it down. He, doesn't, he just says, tells Jesus what the story is. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now, unfortunately, the version of the NIV that we've got here, uh, the 1984 version, it's it's messed up um, what Jesus says in reply. Um, They've fixed it. If you're on on the computer and you've got the 2011 version, you'll see they've changed it. Uh, Jesus replied to the centurion, it's actually a question. And the emphasis is on the word I. They've shifted the I in the sentence to put uh, put the emphasis on it. So let me read verse 7, but with my slight translation difference. It makes all the difference. Listen. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. See, it turns it around completely, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, you want me to go and heal him? You, a Roman soldier, want me, a Jew, to go into your house and heal your servant. Not looking good. But the centurion has strong faith and he's got an excellent idea. This centurion, he knows what it is to have authority from above, from Caesar, in his case. He knows what it therefore means when he gives an order. If he gives an order, it doesn't matter if he's there to supervise or not. He has the authority of Caesar in his orders. If he gives an order, people jump. If he gives an order, it gets obeyed. So the centurion figures, Jesus doesn't have to come to my house like me. Jesus has power from above, from God in Jesus' case. Jesus doesn't have to be there to supervise. Jesus can just give the order and it'll happen. Verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus is amazed by this Gentile's faith, and he takes a chance to talk about God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In the future, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven it's going to be chock-a-block full of people just like this Gentile centurion, people who, who have been excluded from Israel through the Old Testament, Gentiles who've had no place in God's Old Testament people, these Gentiles, if they have faith in Jesus, 
a faith like this centurion, then they will take their place at the feast. They, they will have their place amongst God's Old Testament people. They will join in the festivities. But meanwhile, in, in a terrible flip side, the natural people, the Jewish people, if they refuse to have faith in Jesus, they will be excluded. Faith in Jesus, it doesn't just bring healing. It brings healing, but it doesn't just bring healing. It brings acceptance. Acceptance with God, acceptance among God's people. It breaks down the barrier of Jew and Gentile. If you are trusting in Jesus, you have a place in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you have faith in Jesus, then in God's kingdom, you have a place where you truly belong. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus accepts the Gentiles, uh, the, the Gentile centurion's solution. At this stage, as a good Jew, Jesus is not going to, going to go into a Gentile home, but he'll give the order. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So there's the second story, story number two. Again, it's insight into the, into the authority of Jesus again, isn't it? Jesus has authority from God to heal, even just by a word. Authority from God to heal. And also we get another glimpse of this kingdom that Jesus is establishing, don't we? This, is, this kingdom will be without sickness, without suffering. This kingdom will be a feast in which people from every nation can join, where they can take their place, the way in, the ticket. It's to have faith in Jesus. Well, that brings us to our third story, story number three. Uh, this story has uh, it's actually got lots of healings in it, but the only one we're told about in any detail is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I'm not sure if Matthew's making a mother-in-law joke here. Uh, there's lepers, there's Gentiles, and there's mothers-in-law, uh, the, the three classes of despised people, um, the three classes of people you would never expect to see in heaven. I suspect that's not what Matthew's saying. <laughs> Although it's worth noting that Peter has a wife. I take it he has a wife. If he's got a mother-in-law, you'd feel pretty ripped off if you got a mother-in-law without a <laughs> wife, wouldn't you? Uh, Peter has a wife. And uh, you'll also notice there that Peter has a house. Anyway, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals lots of other people who come to Peter's house. And Matthew tells us um, that this is the fulfilment of a prophecy. This is the fulfilment of a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, if you're here at church this year for, uh, uh, the, for Good Friday or if you're in Bible study for the week of Good Friday, you, you've spent some time on this passage in Isaiah, haven't you? Um, from chapter 53. It was our other reading for today as well. And in context here, this quote is incredibly significant. This is actually one of the most important parts, I think, of the whole Gospel of Matthew. This quote, Matthew is telling us here the, the secret to Jesus' authority. He's giving us the key, which, which shows us how it works. Here is how Jesus is able to bring people into God's kingdom. Here is how Jesus is able to ensure that there will be no sickness in God's kingdom. Here is how Jesus is able to ensure that there can be full acceptance in God's kingdom for lepers, for Gentiles, even for mothers-in-law. It all comes down to the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about the servant of the Lord. And it talks about how the servant of the Lord is able to is able to win a place for God's people in God's kingdom. And it's how he does it, it's, it's by bearing our sickness, by bearing our exclusion and scorn and punishment and death on himself. On that cross, Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 53. On that cross, Jesus paid the full price for our sin. On that cross, Jesus bore the punishment that brings us peace. Uh, on that cross, Jesus took up our sickness and our death. On that cross, Jesus bore our scorn and rejection. On that cross, Jesus was rejected and excluded so that we don't have to be. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can be healed. So that we can be cleansed. So that we can be accepted so that we can have a place in God's kingdom, a place where we do truly belong. It all comes down to the cross. The cross is the key. Okay, can you see what's here in this passage from Matthew? Three healing stories, the leper, the centurion, and the people at Peter's house. And can you, in, in the context of Matthew, in the flow of Matthew, can you see how it works now, what the point of it is? This Jesus who's taught the Sermon on the Mount, this Jesus who's claimed such authority, he's not just words. His authority is real. It is true. He has the power he claims to have, power to establish God's kingdom, power to say who is in and who isn't, power to say what it will be like, and, and we have got a taste of what the kingdom of God will be like. This kingdom will be without sickness without suffering, without leprosy, without exclusion, without uncleanness. This kingdom will be a feast where God's people will truly belong, where they will rejoice together forever. Jesus has the authority to do it. Friends, friends, I have great news for you. This Jesus... He is alive today. This Jesus, this crucified, risen Jesus, he has the authority today. He is able to give you a place in the kingdom of God. 
It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how unclean, how dirty you may feel before God. It doesn't matter how other people treat you. It doesn't matter whether they accept you. It doesn't matter if other people hate you. It doesn't matter if other people won't accept you. You can join the feast. There is more than one way you can cripple a man. All of us, we know what it is to be sick. We know the tragedy of living these short lives punctuated by sickness and and suffering and death. Um, Even this week, we know what it is to lose people, as uh, sadly we lost Dot during the week. But more than that, more than that, we know what it is to be an outsider as well, don't we? We know what it is to be scorned, to be rejected, to be left out, to be ostracised. We know that shame of being a stranger, an alien, of not fitting in. We know that pain, and it, it, it's genuine pain, isn't it? It is crippling pain. But friends, here's the magnificent news. It doesn't have to be forever. Not if Jesus is your king. Not if you're relying on his death on the cross. Not, not if you've asked the risen Jesus to bring you into the kingdom of God. Jesus has the authority to do it. If you are trusting Jesus, you have a place at the feast. At the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And there in God's kingdom we will suffer no more. There we will finally be where we truly belong. Let's pray. Our gracious and merciful and wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who on that cross bore our sin and death and sickness and scorn and exclusion. And thank you that he now has the authority to welcome us into your beautiful, magnificent, eternal kingdom. Father, eternity is not going to be enough to thank you. You are very wonderful and very good. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.